This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. My name is Rennie, and I am the care pastor here at Christian Chapel. And if this is your first time joining us this Sunday morning, we are really happy to have you join us. Pastor Chris and his family are gone this weekend, so I get the pleasure of sharing the message this morning. This is our third Sunday in our summer series where we are exploring the book of Philippians. As Pastor Chris shared with us a couple Sundays ago, most of all the other books that Paul wrote, he writes as a father to the church. He's writing to correct a behavior or to address a problem that the churches are having. But in the book of Philippians, Paul is still writing as a father, but this is the only book that he writes to purely encourage the church. And because of that, it has become one of the most favorite books of the Bible. So this morning, we're going to wrap up chapter 20, 21. We're going to wrap up chapter 1. So if you would join me in opening your Bibles, we're going to look at verses 27 through 30. And if not, they're on the screen overhead. I have to tell you, I enjoyed studying this portion of Scripture. There's so many... Um, favorite verses in here that a lot of people turn to, so I hope you enjoy this morning because it was it's fantastic what the Lord um, shares with us in here. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my presence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. In this last section of chapter 1, Paul continues to encourage us. But church, this encouragement is wrapped up in a little bit different package this morning. In verse 27, there is a shift in Paul's thinking, which is reflected in his writing. In verses 12 through 26, we have been spectators of Paul's life. Paul hasn't called us to anything yet until verse 27. And at this point, Paul turns from his imprisonment to the church's predicament. He begins driving home that his life experiences, his struggles, and his trials that he has had in the advancement of the gospel are not just unique to him. That every one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ are called into this lifestyle. Paul began the letter of Philippians by using words like holy people or saints, and then he uses the terms servants of Christ Jesus. His tone is gentle and loving, and therein there is a change in verse 27. I picture Paul here like a good parent, sharing words of affirmation and encouragement to a child who is about ready to step out into the world, into the, the culture around him outside of his home. And Dan and I have been here many times, and that threshold is six teenagers that have passed through our home. We encouraged them. We told them that they've got this, that they're prepared for this. But because we loved them, we also gave them a dose of reality of what the world was really going to be like when they leave home. 
And I believe that this is what Paul is doing here. So now in these last verses, we see words like standing firm, striving, enemies, destruction, and suffering. Church, this is military talk. It's soldier talk. Now, I know some of you probably felt a little uncomfortable when I said that and used the word military and soldier, but let's be real here. Paul is sitting in a Roman prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier. Why are we surprised that his writings and his words have tones of a battle that he is fighting? Paul understood that the church is not a playground, but it's a battlefield. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from all other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul understood that he was in a battle. And he knew this battle wasn't unique to him. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he calls us soldiers for Christ. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. Enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is a story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Paul wanted his children prepared. He wants the church prepared. Paul recognized and he wants us to be aware that we live in a world that is anti-gospel and anti-Christ. Now, you and I both know that the time of our salvation, we are not immediately transported to heaven, right? We're still here. This is proof here. When we are born again, Jesus takes us out of the darkness of the world and puts us in the light of his kingdom. And then, church, we are infused into a culture that is perishing, a culture that is dying. Paul knew this. He was living it. Pastor Chris shared with us last week that we will have hard seasons in our life. Now, we don't have to look too far into our lives or the world around us to see that our worldview as Christians, those things that we profess and teach to those around us and the world and the culture around us are at odds with each other. We see this displayed in a thousand different ways every day we leave our home. As Christians, we believe that no one can come to Christ, to God, except through Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But the world around us, church, is shouting something completely different. Scripture speaks on marriage and sexuality in a certain way, and the world and the culture around us is offended by us. 
when we choose to raise our children according to the guidelines that Jesus gives us in Scripture, the world and the culture around us pushes in and comes against us. We talked last Sunday about having a big picture view. Paul encourages us to keep our eyes not on our problems, but on Jesus. But in Paul fashion, in these last few verses, he keeps us grounded in reality. He reminds us that when our lives are fully surrendered, surrendered to Jesus, our lives are transformed. And this gives proof to the culture around us that our, we have been touched by the, by the, um, we have been touched by the gospel. And church, this is at the point that we engage in the battle. So in these last few verses, Paul is laying out a strategy to help us win our battle. To help us be successful in living the Christian life when hard seasons come. And remember I said our encouragement was packaged a little bit differently this morning. This is where we get our encouragement. Paul gives us a game plan with three different strategies to help us be successful. Consistency, unity, and not being afraid when the battle comes or facing the battle. Now, what I love about this portion of Scripture is that Paul uses a lot of great metaphors in this, in this portion. And so in order to get the really full impact of what Paul is saying so we can understand what he's saying, we're going to dig a little deeper into a few of these words so let's go ahead and take a look at, at verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul is calling us here to a life of consistency. Consistency is a weapon that we can use to stand our ground in the battle. Now, it's really important that we understand here that Jesus doesn't call us to a life of perfection. We're not always going to do everything right. In fact, Psalm 103 verse 14 reassures us that God knows our frame and he knows that we are made from dust. He knows that we are not, human beings not yet perfected, but what he does want is to have us keep moving in that direction. And like a good father, Paul role modeled consistency for us what he said he believed in equaled what he lived out in his life he remained resilient and consistent in a very hostile world even as paul is writing to the philippians and he's chained to a roman guard his conduct remains loyal and consistent and worthy of the gospel of jesus christ now, you might find it surprising to know that the word conduct in this scripture actually, in the Greek, means your political affiliation. It's where we get our word politics or policy from. Now, don't be thinking politics in modern America, okay? It's, it's not what he's talking about here. The word in the Greek carries the idea of being a good citizen. It's how we display our national identity. Later on, we're going to see in Philippians 3.20 that Paul continues with the same thought. He tells us that we are citizens of heaven, that heaven is our homeland. A few years ago, Dieta and I and a good friend of ours 
were invited by Darren and Diana Clements. Some of you know them here. They're missionaries to Cambodia that we support. And they had invited us to come to Cambodia to do ministry with them. Well, on our day off, Diana um, arranged for all of us to take a boat trip up the Mekong River. Now, on this boat, I don't know if you remember this, Diet or not, but there was another group of Americans. They were very loud, they were very rude, and they were very drunk. And there was a whole lot of cussing. And when I was preparing for the sermon, I remembered the feeling that I had. I felt very embarrassed. I did not want our new Cambodian friends to think that we were like them. Because, see, when you're in other countries, if you're white and you're an American, they automatically assume that you're a Christian. And I did not want our Cambodian friends to think that that's who we were as believers or even the best that America had. It's what Paul's talking about here, how we represent our homeland. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul again tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we represent our homeland, and how we conduct our lives will be a witness to those around us. The world sees the message of the gospel through our lives. We're on display in front of a perishing world. Paul tells us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, at first glance, when we look at the word worthy, we think that that worth might come from within us. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. What he's talking about is that the weight, it's, it's a weight scale. The, whatever is on this side of the scale weighs the same that's on the other side of the scale. If we say um, a laborer's worth is higher, that means the work that he puts out equals the work or the money that he is getting paid. Paul here is still supporting the idea of consistency. To put it simply, what we believe should equal how we act. Now let's just pause here for a second. That can be a really hard truth to take in. A lot of you here know my backstory. I was a real mess until I came to know Jesus at the age of 31. And when I did, I was immediately convicted of my lifestyle as I began to pull away from my past and embrace my new life with Jesus, my excessive drinking, which is a very polite way of saying I got drunk a lot, was one of the first places the Holy Spirit began to convict me. You see, I had a whole lot of emotional pain in my life. Some of it was from poor decisions that I had made along the journey, and some of it I was just born into. But alcohol was one of the ways that I chose to numb myself. My world at that point consisted of all unbelievers, except for one who was struggling greatly at the time. So as I bent my knee, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I began acting out the gospel, my behaviors began to change, and my drinking was the first to go. And as I stood my ground with those around me, 
there was a lot of anger towards me. You see, I was convicting the world that God had me in. They wanted the same old Rennie. They wanted me to cave in. And at that point, bear with me here for a second. I'm going to paint something for you. At that point, if I would have sat down with people that I love over mixed drinks, shared the gospel with them, and then proceeded to get drunk with them, what kind of a taste in their mouths would that have been with their Christianity? Now, a lot of you here might think that's ridiculous and a little bit too much, and some of you might even be judging me. But church, this is real life. Some of you need to hear this. We don't come to Jesus all cleaned up and perfect. He moves us along in our journey. We all come to him at different points, different ages in our lives. But the truth of the matter is that when we have been touched by the gospel, how we live it out in front of others makes a big difference in the world in front of us. We have to own that. The Spirit gave me drink, drink. The Spirit gave me strength and grace to, to live my life <laughs> true to the gospel. See, I told you I'm not perfect. I told anybody who would listen about Jesus, and I'm telling you, anybody. I don't care if we were in the grocery store. I don't care if I was in the bathroom washing my hands with somebody beside them. I saw. That's one of the things about when you come to know Jesus later in life. You really see. It's in your face, the difference that you are. So as I began to share that message with everybody, then Jesus used me as I was consistent in my, my change, my transformation with the gospel to bring hope and healing to some of those who were in front of me and who were my world. And these were people that I loved. Now, as Christian parents, this should really get your attention. If you're bringing your kids to church every Sunday, and you're talking to them about Jesus, and then they're seeing you doing behaviors that are not congruent to the kingdom of Christ, we got to ask ourselves a couple of important questions. First of all, what is that doing to their view of Jesus? And what is that doing to their view and their future relationship with Jesus in their walk, in their Christianity? You see, when your children are young, they learn by role modeling and watching us. But by the time they hit the teenage years, they're going to challenge your authenticity. They're going to ask you why you say one thing but do another. You know how I know this? We know this, don't we, Dan, from personal experience. We've had six teenagers come through our home, and every one of my kids have challenged me at some level. So, parents, we need to really watch this, what we say, not just for the benefit of our children. A lot of us have grandkids. What a great time of our life do we have with this, what we get to share the things about Jesus without having to discipline and do all those things. 
right? Some of us know that. Unity is the next strategy that Paul gives us. He describes it as standing firm in one's spirit and striving together. Now, the word standing here refers to a soldier guarding his, his ground. He's, he's defending his post at all cost. He's immovable. And if the apostle Paul is telling us that we need to stand firm, then we know that there is resistance coming, right? There's going to be some kind of opposition, just like the parent preparing their child to send them out into the world. Paul wants to give us a heads up. There is opposition coming. And when it does, he encourages us to stand in unity. Now, what he's doing here, he's painting a picture of soldiers going into battle. When soldiers went out, I just, I studied this many times over the last few years, and it just, it's fascinating to me. When the Roman soldiers would go out, they had spikes on the bottom of their shoes. And so when they would get to battle, when they would get in their position, they would plant the, the spikes in the, in the ground to give them security and strength. And then they would either lock shields with the soldiers behind them or another soldier would come around behind to, to fight the battle with them. When they fought together in unity this way, it made the battle so much easier to endure. Unity is not an option. Unity is a necessity in the body of Christ. As Christians, we have one common purpose, and that's to share the gospel of Jesus. It's not every man for himself. We are united in this common purpose. This unity that Paul is speaking about doesn't mean that you and I, Isaac, are always going to get along on the same thing. But when it comes down to standing with my brother in Christ, the thing that's going to bind us together is that we believe in the essential historical gospel of Jesus Christ. In all the ways that we may be different, in all the things that we may disagree on, we are united and stand together in the gospel of Jesus. And in that space, there will be love and grace that is exchanged that will bind us together as a family. I love last week when Pastor Chris shared with us that our unity was wrapped up in our encouragement with each other. And he shared with us that in order for us to encourage one another in the body, we have to know each other's stories. Well, a lot of you saw our son Kyle's video a few weeks ago. I guess it's been about six weeks ago now. But um, on how he traded addiction for freedom. As a mom, those were some long years until he came back home and he came back to Jesus. If I hadn't been vulnerable and open with some of you here, and sometimes I was open up here on the platform. If Dan and I hadn't shared our story with you in our home group, we never would have had the strength to continue our journey. And your encouragement and your strength made all the difference in the world to us.
We need each other to stand together, church, for whatever particular need that you have until the victory comes. Not only is Paul... I'm going to say one more thing to that. And it works the other way. If I don't know your stories... I can't stand with you. To share someone's story means there's a transparency and a vulnerability that you have to step into. It's part of the gospel of Jesus. It's in our response and how we respond to him. There's a vulnerability that has to occur. So again, if we don't know your story, we can't stand and support you. Not only is Paul telling us to stand firm in one spirit, but also to strive together. The word strive is an athletic term. It's a word that implies movement. Paul saw that the church was more as a team sport, not as an individual experience. Now, I'm not really one who, and if you know me, you know this is true. I'm not one who sits around and likes to watch sports on TV. I don't understand that. You think after raising five, and I have an avid football lover here, you would think after raising five sons and watching every one of them play football, you, you would think that I would. But I don't. Just don't. But I understood what Paul was talking about here from all those years. That we are to defensively stand our ground. We are to remain firm and united with one another in the belief and the sharing of the gospel, but we are also to move offensively out into the world to share the gospel. We're not to keep the good news of the gospel to ourselves. We're to share it with those around us, and that involves movement out into the culture and the world around us. Let's be honest. We all know that that involves getting outside of our comfort zone, right? But what's great about having the involvement of the Holy Spirit in your life is that he will often make this a very natural process. It can be as easy as having a conversation with a neighbor over the backyard fence or going and having a cup of coffee with a friend who doesn't know Jesus and they're experiencing some really hard things in their life. And as people who are led by the Spirit, we know that it's not all up to us. Not only is the Spirit working through us, but he's also drawing the people to us. That's really important for us to know. It's not all up to us. These encounters don't just happen. There's a movement of the Spirit in the world working on behalf of Jesus Christ to share the word, and he uses us, and he works through us. So Paul tells us we are to stand firm and strive together, and now in verse 28, he tells us to do this without being afraid. He tells us to face the battle. Now, the word frightened is the last metaphor that Paul uses in this section, and I just love how he did this. It refers to a horse that was used in a battle and was easily spooked and would oftentimes throw the riders off. In antiquity, the horse was called being battle shy. 
as I've studied this section, I, I, it reminded me of an experience that I had um, quite a few years ago. I, I've always loved horses. I grew up with horses. I never became the accomplished rider that I wanted to be, but I still loved horses. And so I've done a lot of studying on them over the years, the imprinting, and just different things that uh, a horse is beautiful, and reading on them. And one of the facts that I've come across is something that to me is amazing and fascinating that when a horse is well-trained for battle and he comes upon the battle, he's not intimidated by it. He's not afraid. Now, for any of you that ride horses, you know that a horse will shy away from things or if there's chaos in front of him, a regular horse is going to be spooked and it's going to back away. But a battle horse was not afraid. In fact, he was energized by the battle and drawn to it. Isn't that amazing? So before we moved to Oklahoma, Dan and I lived on a ranch. Our last three sons um, and Dan and I lived on a ranch for about 10 years. And it, it uh, was a season of healing in our life. Um, we had gone through three tremendous deaths in a period of two years that our kids and both ourselves had experienced. So it was a great time of healing and um, bonding again. Now, Dan had been around horses. In fact, he rode Bronx in the rodeo. He's got the arthritis to prove it now. He's broken both wrists and, and ribs. The boys hadn't rode a whole lot, so we hired a couple of old cowboys to help them break their horses and then teach them how to ride. Well, my horse, um, I bought him from some friends back home, and my kids find this funny now to, for what I do, but my horse was already named. My horse's name was Sunday. That's kind of prophetic, isn't it? <laughs> so he was a big old horse. He was 17 hands tall, and his name Sunday fit his temperament. He was kind of easygoing and laid back. So we had um, another rancher, some friends of ours, ask us if we would help them move a, a large herd of cattle, about 125 head of cattle, through a, um, out through their big pasture and up the road to another pasture. Dan had to work that day. So Eric and I were really excited, so we saddled up our horses, got them in a trailer, and headed on over to Gary's, our friend's ranch. So Eric unloaded his horse and got going with the rest of the cowboys in the hands, and they started pushing the cattle out of the, pa out of the pasture and, and, and across the pasture and getting ready to go out the, the gate. I stayed behind to, sh to shut up the corrals and everything. So as I go to join them, there's a, a hill in between um, myself and the herd and the cowboys that were working it. So as I crest this hill, I'm going to tell you what the thoughts that were going through my mind. It's a beautiful morning. It was early in the morning. It was crisp. I could see the breath from my horse's nostrils being blown out. I could hear the birds. And I was doing something I had always wanted to do. So... I'm looking out, and I can see these cattle just spread out, and I could hear the, ca the cowboys' voices. It's just perfect. And then all of a sudden, my horse came to attention. I mean, he just stood. Remember, he's a tall horse. I used to have to use a stool to get on top of him. And he comes to attention. His ears go forward. I could feel the adrenaline shoot 
from his hind end all the way underneath me, and I could feel it in my reins. And he began to holler, and he began to rear up on his legs. I was trying to control him, so I, I, I jerked his, his left rein around, so we were spinning in circles. I was petrified. This was not my horse. And then my first thought was that he'd gotten into some loco weed. We had loco weed out there. I don't know what it was, but it was some kind of a weed that made your horse and your, your horses act like that. I was so scared, I threw myself off. I found out later that he had been trained for many years to work cattle. That was his battle. He was energized by it. He wanted to run to it. And if I would have known that, I could have released his head and let him go and do his job. I would have had to hang on because he was ready to go. But I believe that that is kind of what Paul is telling us here. He's telling us that when we stand up for the gospel and the world and the culture pushes in and you find yourself in a battle, we don't have to be surprised Jesus made sure we're aware of what's going to happen down here in our walk, right? And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be like the battle-shy horse. We can turn and we can face the battle. Because you see, the gospel has provided everything that we need. The gospel has provided everything that we need. No matter what battle that we came in here in the middle of today, we know the end of the story, right? We know how this story ends. And we don't go looking for a battle. Paul didn't go looking for a battle among the unbelievers, but the battle came to him. And the battle's going to come to you and I. But when we don't stop, and we don't become frightened, but we face the battle... And we keep moving through the battle and we remain consistent in our walk and we stand our ground with grace and love. Our walk will be a witness to a dying world around us. Because, see, they will know that we have been saved and we have been saved by God. As the band comes up, I, I, I want to share a couple things with you. Now, I know this sounds, as I let the Spirit walk me through this, it's a lot, I know. But there's nothing in there I could have left out. He wouldn't let me. So I know how some of our minds work. We can feel overwhelmed with a message like this. But that's not my intention, and it's not the Holy Spirit's intention. We only accomplish these things through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way, I shared with you that drinking was one of my drugs of choice. I could not have come to this place in my life on my own striving. I'm going to share with you a picture the Lord has had in my mind many times during praise and worship here at Christian Chapel in this new season, this, this, this new wave of, of what we feel in the Spirit doing among each one of us and among our church. 
oftentimes I will see a big, tall building. And the front has been removed from that building. And there's many, many rows, I guess you would call them rows, levels to this building. And I can see in. And they're all prison doors. But here's the thing. The prison doors are open. But the people are still standing inside the prison like they're still bound. They're just standing at attention. This is what I see. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants you to know today. He wants to tell you Don't stay inside of your prison cell. Now, I'm going to say this with a heart full of love and compassion. As you heard me say, I am the care pastor here. And what that means is oftentimes I get to have the privilege of getting into the messes of your life. And in the process, you come into the messes of my life. There is a lot of us here who have come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and who have not yet bent their knee in a full surrender to Jesus Christ. And then there are those of you who are so hungry for more of the Spirit wanting the baptism of the Spirit. And then there are some of us who are just grateful for what Jesus has done in our life. But the bottom line is, church, there has to be movement. You cannot sit in your seat every Sunday. And I'm preaching this to myself. You cannot sit in your seat every Sunday wanting your life to change. You just can't. It doesn't work that way. We're called to be united. We're called to be involved in each other's life. We can't give one another strength if we don't know what's going on in your life. So we're going to open up these altars this morning. I'm going to ask our prayer team and our pastors that are here to come up here. If you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to come. If you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you want more of the Spirit in your life to overcome some of the behaviors that you just can't seem to do on your own, you come. If you want to come just to the altar to spend time with Jesus, We're not called to be in a church where we sit all perfect and we don't move and we amen. We can't do that anymore. This is a new season. It's a new season and it it takes movement to step into that season. I know. I'm in this new season myself. I'm being vulnerable. So I'm asking you, be vulnerable. Don't leave here the same. So as we 
last song, I pray that you listen to the Spirit and you move.
to share something the Lord showed me. And just as we were worshiping the Lord this morning and we were getting, and I was just really praying for Rennie, I knew the Lord had put something in her heart and I knew that uh, she had something to share with us as a church. And, and the Lord gave me the verse in Revelation chapter three, where it says, behold, I'm going to, I'm going to open a door that no one can shut. And then when she gave the vision about the church and the kind of the open building and, and all these cells and, and these people standing inside and the door is open and we're not out yet. The Lord just confirmed to me, especially as I was praying at this altar, the Lord just confirmed to me, guess what? Here's good news. The doors are open. The doors are open. They're open. All right. So, so we got the good news. Now here's what we do as a, as a body in unity in the spirit, folks, we got to all walk together. Because what's happening right now is that these altars and in Rennie's office and in Pastor Chris's office, things are happening and people are coming out. But guess what? We're not doing it together yet. And I just believe the Holy Spirit wants to inspire us this morning right now to do it together. Now, I'm not sure how this looks. I don't know if it's holding hands. I don't know what it is. But God right now, just in the spirit, as the body of Christ, as this local church bound together by the spirit of God, Lord, we thank you for doors that are open. We thank you, God, that we are walking together, that the Holy Spirit, Lord, you are binding us together, hands together, with all of our dirt and all of our, our messes and all of our triumphs and all of our brokenness, we are joining hands together. And God, we see these doors and we see that they're open. And right now, we're walking through. We're walking through Jesus together. As a church, we're walking through into freedom, into freedom that we've never seen before, into freedom that we've never felt before, into unity that we've never had before, into power that we've never had before. And things that have been holding us for years, God, we are throwing them off. As the Spirit comes upon us now, we're throwing them off. We're saying, together, Lord, this church, together, in the name of Jesus, we're walking out of our doors. And we're going to step into whatever you have for us. And as, as a church, as leadership, as individuals, as we all walk through that right now, God, we just say, that's us. We're in it together. We're in it together. Can you just lift your hands and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm here. We're here together. We're here together. Together. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have the chance for freedom this morning. There's not a person in this room that will be left behind in what God is doing. We're going to do it together. We're going to walk it out together. We're going to grab those who are staying behind and say, look, don't you see the door is there? Let's walk through together. God, do it in us today. Breakthrough, Jesus. We declare there will be breakthrough. Hallelujah.
Lord, we thank you for your word this morning that has reminded us, God, that as we sing about breakthrough, Lord, you've already done it. Lord, the victory is already won. So, God, I pray that together we would have courage and unity to step forward into the victory that you've already purchased for us, Lord. God, we rejoice in that. This morning, we tell our hearts, be glad because you've won the victory, Lord. So, God, as we pursue that, as we begin to step into the new life, the new victory that you have won for us, God, I pray that we would do so step by step with joy in our hearts, knowing that you have already won it. We're just stepping into it. God, give us courage together, Lord, not just to look at our own hearts, but to look at those around us, to join hands with those near us, to see those who are hurting around us, God, and to step by step together walk into the new life, the new victory that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for that breakthrough, and God, we rejoice in the, in the victories we're going to see in the coming days, the realization of the things that you've purchased for us. We thank you for that, God, and we do so not in our own strength, but God, together we do so united by the power of your Spirit who leads us, the one who speaks truth to our church who calls us out of our comfort zones, the one who calls out the things in us that need to be gone, the one who calls us into the truth and the life that you've created for us. So Lord, we walk in step with your spirit, united together, and we receive the breakthrough that you are bringing to us. We rejoice in it and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen. Me go this morning in God's grace and his peace and receive the breakthrough that he has for your life. See you again next Sunday. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.